This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The editor-in-chief of the very athletic Bay Area, Jim Kawakami. Kawakami, who has covered the NBA for over two decades. It's time now for the TK Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hey everybody, Tim Kawakami here, TK Show, recording from the home studio. Very glad to have him as my guest, the manager of the San Francisco Giants. That's Gabe Kapler. Gabe, how are you doing today? Welcome to the show. Tim, I'm doing great. It's great talking to you. It's been a while, and I'm glad to be here with you. It has been a while. I think I might have said mentioned to you. I was not around the ballpark a ton this season. I wanted to get out there. It was a little tough with the two other schedules going on, but always like to talk to you. Always like to check in with you. Obviously, just wrapped up the World Series, uh, Gabe. Just your—I mean, don't want to go too much into this, but your thoughts on seeing the Astros win, Dusty Baker getting his first World Series. Uh, just what did what, what struck you about this World Series with the Astros winning? I think what struck me most was the final out uh, being recorded, and Dusty. I'm sure everybody's seen this this clip running around Twitter and all over the internet. Was Dusty marking it down in his scorebook with a pencil? <laughs> Um, as the play was happening and, and like the, the out wasn't recorded, it wasn't a sure thing. And he wasn't even, he wasn't even looking at it. He was marking it down as an out in his scorebook. And then he was surrounded by all of his coaches congratulating him. And for good reason, I mean, what a, what a baseball lifer, what a grinder, what a great baseball mind, what a great human being. And I think it was really interesting. I continue to think it's interesting that the stories that night and the following day, we're very much about Dusty, and rightfully so. Um, there was a lot of other great stories from, you know, Jordan Alvarez to so many others. But Dusty deserved to be kind of the centerpiece of this story, given what he's meant to the game. I, I really enjoyed watching that. On- I, I got a kick, and I was I was actually watching it with my nephews, and my nephews got a kick. It just it looked like he got attacked, right? I mean, you knew he was celebrating, but he was like, oh, my God, everybody's like, falling down on him uh, but I imagine you could feel as a manager right the moment with your coaches is probably the moment you remember I would imagine yeah you know I've had that experience on a much much smaller scale you know winning a big game or whatever going winning the winning game 106 going to the postseason I've had those moments with the coaches and they're really special because you guys are in the trenches you're just grinding together all day every day for so many days straight and sometimes many, many years straight. Um, it's not winning the World Series, but I have my own experience with it. And uh, Dusty's is just that time a million. Well, you got Dusty won the World Series in his 70s. You got Bruce Bochy coming back uh, in his later 60s. I figure, Cap, you know what? In 20, 25 years, you'll still be managing, right? I mean, you got a history of former <laughs> Giants managers managing. Um, <laughs> your thoughts just on seeing guys, and you've got Buck Showalter, obviously, you had some other Tony LaRusso just wrapped up his second time with the White Sox. Just, you know, managing into your late 60s and 70s, can you picture that? And, and, and how special is that to have guys like this coming back still around? They're now your peers in this game. 
sure. I can picture it. I mean, I love my job and I love, I love, you know, leading teams and, and, and being a part of coaching staff and communicating with players and working on, you know, front office, um, you know, puzzles. So I love the work. So I, I can envision it. There's a lot of other things that, that I want to do in my life. So, you know, I'm not married to it. If it, if it works out that way and I'm lucky enough to be, you know, wanted in, at that point, I, that's great. I mean, I think one of the things that's really interesting is that the game is going to, just like it has evolved for, for Dusty and, and Buck and, um, and Boach and others, it's going to evolve in the next 15, 20, 25 years. And, and, you know, you have to stay, you have to stay out in front of it or be at least part of the way it's changing. And these guys have done a great job of that. So sure. If I'm lucky enough to, to be in that position, I'd love to. I was looking at the Phillies, obviously uh, the NL and, you know, two games of win away from winning themselves. They won six more games than you did. And, you know, it was definitely a different kind of giant season to be 81 and 81 after winning 107. No questions, all in context. But the fact that the Phillies almost you know, struggle through a lot of things that you guys did, right? And then kick it in about, eh, about 55% of the season through and almost win the World Series, having won only six more games than you guys did. Does that make you feel closer, maybe, other than you would have felt otherwise? Or in some ways, does it make it feel harder because – you just there's so much left for you know so many things you got to do to get to that point well i think rob thompson did a tremendous job with the phillies this year through all of their ups and downs and kind of the the mid-season struggles that they had and then going on that tremendous run that they went on you could see that if things came together in the right way with all of that talent all of those bangers guys like schwarber and and harper and reese hoskins and you know, they were having Gene Segura down at the bottom of their lineup. And Gene's a really, really good professional major league hitter. So you could tell that the lineup was where it needed to be. Um, obviously, having some exposure to Aaron Nola, how good of a, a major league starter he is, um, appreciating Wheeler's, you know, body of work. You see those two guys matching up against any in baseball. You could, you could see it happening and coming together with their leadership. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think – that's how it has to happen in baseball for a team that look is just is imperfect to get through the postseason. You have to get hot at the right time and you have to have all of those talented individuals like the ones I just mentioned step up in, in a major way. And so I don't know if it, if there's anything to relate to here with the Giants. What I can say is the postseason is a bit of a, a crapshoot, right? Like we see it year in and year out. I don't think anybody would have predicted that the Dodgers would have um, struggled the way they did in the postseason. They're, they were without question among the top two or three ta most talented teams in baseball. Very well constructed, extremely talented. And, and sometimes in the postseason, you just can't get past that round because somebody else is just in a better position at that moment. So or just playing better baseball or just luckier. So the postseason is just not necessarily the best measure of these things. That's why the regular season is so, you know, impressive. You get to the end of 162 games and you're sitting at the top of, the, of, of a division. That's, that really says that you are an excellent, excellent baseball team and that you have depth and that you're really, you're really well run. So, um, yeah, you know, all of that in aggregate suggests that, Teams get hot in the postseason, especially talented teams like the Phillies were. 
and that's how that happens. And I think that when, once you get into the into the tournament, so to speak, you have it. You have a chance. How far away do you think you are, Gabe? I mean, we're looking at the advent of free agency. I guess we're maybe we're a day away from you can actually name names. Uh, I think we all know the the major names that are out there, and I think you know the chairman of your board even mentioned being aware of the player in the Bronx right now. Uh, are are you set up? You think is this team set up to make a run after a, a big name, and and maybe is the roster kind of set up to like? be the one or two tipping point players away from being one of those really good teams? We were short in 2022 because in the middle of the season and maybe a little bit before the middle of the season, our defense was not good. And as a result, there was a real cascading effect to that defense not performing. What happened was our starting pitchers had to throw more pitches and record more outs, which is a huge challenge. They were a really good group this year. And they got a lot of ground balls, and we weren't able to convert those ground balls into outs. And then our relievers had to pitch more innings. And that's going to be taxing for a group. And going back to what you said about six games being the difference between us and, and getting into the postseason, you're right. We were that close. And as we were that close, that defense was the the major factor. You could envision us improving our defense with the same style of offense, uh, maybe a, a tick better offense, and the same kind of starting pitching, and then shoring up, you know, a thing here or there in the bullpen, and, and being right where we needed to be. So the answer to the question is, yeah, we're not that far away. And no team that performs really well over long stretches of time is that far away. Now, there's a lot of variability year to year in how players perform. So you think you can you shore up the weaknesses and it doesn't always work out that way. So we're going to do everything in our power to be in the postseason in 2023. And we have the, the leadership in place to make that happen. We have the players who are hungry enough to make that happen. And we will come to spring training with the talent necessary to make it happen. I agree with you about the defense. I understand exactly what you're saying. You know, a, a Giants fan is going to hear that, though, maybe with, with a focus on defense and think, wait a minute, does that mean they're not going to go get, you know, a, 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 let's say a Bryce Harper, you know, or, you know, who is not a free agent, but I'm saying a comparable player. Would you say your your focus would be more on someone who can show up the defense than it would be to get a guy who can hit 40 home runs? We don't we don't have just one need nor does any team around baseball at this point in the offseason have just one need. Players become free agents. That means you have to fill holes. You have to look at, at the aging curve and understand that there are going to be some players that just might not be as good as they were the year previously. You have to account for that. And so I just don't think there's any one individual or one like big need that solves all the problems. You have to be thinking about how to, how to attack an offseason and um, attack free agency and player acquisition from every possible angle and not just one. I've talked to Farhan about, you know, the shit, I'm sorry, not the, uh, the, the going, you know, playing, the, I'm sorry, lefty righty playing that all the time. Um, and I know you're not completely committed to that. This just was the best situation that you had. Certainly worked great two years ago. Maybe not so great last year. The platoons was the word I was thinking of, Gabe. I knew I could come up with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew you were that, there. Yes, I think I hope everyone understood I was there. Is that something you kind of would like to get a, a little bit away from where you're not doing it in seven slots or not doing it in six slots? Uh, can you say that this is 
you know, an idea that you go, okay, let's try to get four guys that we're not moving around lefty righty every single time. I think anybody would, would tell you that it's nice to have players that you can just roll out there every day. That being said, I think that it's fine to have platoon situations as well. And as you mentioned, it was a, a really uh, successful strategy in 21. It wasn't quite as successful in 22. And we're going to need to work really hard to make it as successful as possible in 23, while also looking to find some players that can supplement those platoon situations and guys that can you can run out there every day and depend on. I mean, we had that in 21. Brandon Crawford was one of those guys. You just rolled him out there every single day and he just performed at an MVP caliber. So is it nice to have guys like Brandon rolling out there and just, you know, that they're going to face lefties and righties and, and, and bang and play good defense. Of course. I think that the coolest part about being a manager is you're looking to be good with the roster that you have. You're looking to be, you're looking for the value at the margin with the roster that you have. And I love that challenge. I love it every single year. Um, I'll love it with an additional guy who, who plays every day. And I'll love it if we, if we have to be strategic about the way we score our runs. Those are the challenges that, and the reasons that we get into this game as managers. Are you expecting to see the three or four additions at you know, major league level players uh, you know, just to give this roster a little bit of a turnover, just to freshen up some things? I'm very confident that Farhan and Pete are looking under every stone for ways to improve our roster and to make us better and stronger in 23 than we were in 22. So I have a lot of confidence in, in that process. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Uh, you're the manager. You, you know, yeah, as you say, you manage the guys that the management puts in front of you. But and we've asked this of Farhan and other people, you know, attendance was not great last season. Uh, we know the world's changed. We know that downtown San Francisco has changed. But the Giants were not the premium ticket that they've been. And again, you just want to win games. I totally understand that. But do you have a sense that the franchise ownership, management, even yourself feels like there needs to be a little excitement with this team, that there needs to be something that gets people to the game to get them excited about the Giants again? We're all deeply invested in in creating a product on the field that fans are excited to come out and support. Um, I know that fans and, and we are a part of that. We like really good, exciting stories, young players coming up from the minor leagues with high levels of talent, like uh, Kyle Harrison obviously comes to mind. Luciano comes to mind. Matos comes to mind. These guys are incredibly talented individuals. And if it all comes together for them, these are players that fans are going to be really excited about seeing. Um, think about guys that are already on our roster. Logan Webb stands out as a guy that I consider to be a star in the game. Um, he's a guy that we have to, we are going to have to build around. He 
is a frontline major league starter with three plus pitches, a great personality, a great backstory, somebody that I think fans can and, and will continue to support, get behind, and celebrate. We are going to look to add exciting, athletic players to add to, add to the roster. And I think when all of those things come together, that's when fans you know, really appreciate the opportunity to get behind their team. Now, the cool thing about San Francisco fans, Giants fans specifically, is they're loyal. And we had a tremendous amount of support last year, even through some pretty significant struggles and, and high expectations after our, our 106 win season. So, you know, we really appreciated that support and we do feel a responsibility to put an, not just a good winning product on the field, but an exciting product as well. Buster Posey uh, obviously took an ownership stake uh, and has said he was going to be involved in some things. I think he must have had some organizational meetings. Was, has Posey been involved? What, what kind of influence has he had so far? Yeah, I've, I've, I've chatted with Buster. He's been on um, some calls. And I think he's just really invested, as, he, as you might expect, in the San Francisco Giants winning a lot of games in 23 and and ultimately being perennial contenders in in the National League West and 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 go, looking to go to the postseason every single year. And as you mentioned, I know Buster's invested in in t- putting the most exciting, athletic, winning kind of players on the field as possible. Do you go into next season with Joey Bart? Is for sure your starting catcher? Has he answered almost all of your questions about him being a number one catcher in in baseball? Joey has a lot of work to do, but he really grew and developed. In, in 22. And part of the reason that's important is because it indicates that he has a chance to really grow and develop more. And if he grows and develops more, he does become uh, that, that frontline starting catcher for our club. He's, nobody's a finished product. So it doesn't make any sense to look back on 22 and say, uh, he's done enough at, you know, in his, like really his first full major league season. He's got a lot of work to do and a lot of grow, growing and developing to do, but he's on the right track, and he definitely has a chance to be a frontline starting catcher. We're always looking at this, the hitting stats. Obviously, those are something to look at. But where is he as a you know as a game caller, as a pitch framer, as just a defensive force? And we know how important Posey was in that when we watched it for all those years. Where is Joey Bart on that kind of scale? He really grew in in twenty two on that front. He made better relationships, or he, he developed better relationships with our pitchers. Um, I think he understood their arsenals better. He did a really nice job framing, blocking, and growing. And I, I'm just going to continue to say this because I think it's important for our players to hear. And I think it's important to look at this very openly. There's, there's still a lot of work to do on all of those fronts. And there's still a slowing the game down that Joey got a lot better at in, in 22, but he's going to continue to get better at. The thing that's important to remember is player development isn't, sometimes it happens where you have a Buster Posey and a guy just arrives and he's a star player. So that happens occasionally. It hasn't happened with Joey. And I don't think it's fair to expect another Buster Posey. There are many catchers around the league that take their time in developing into the frontline starting catchers that they become. It, sometimes it happens in, in not a direct line fashion. And 
from a talent perspective, there's no question that Joey has all the necessary tools to get there, but he still has a lot of work to do. And I'm going to keep saying that. Got some new rules coming in, some major changes. Uh, and, and I think are going to affect some of your players pretty significantly, maybe others not. I especially think of the pitch clock. Uh, and I know closers are all pretty slow to the plate just because it's the moments, the pressure. These are the final outs. But, you know, Camilo Duvall is a notably slow guy delivering between pitches. Have you had a conversation with him at that? Are you at all concerned that this might affect the way he has to approach the game? Not at all. This is an initiative that we started the, the day the season ended. We know that the rule changes are coming, but we're not going to be surprised by them. We're not getting the spring training and starting like speeding up deliveries and times between pitches when we get to camp. That's going to be happening um, throughout the offseason. We're going to keep a major emphasis on it. We're going to be talking to Camilo and other pitchers. Junior um, Marte falls into to this category as well. Had Carlos Rodon um, you know, had, had he been for sure back, I'm not, I'm not making any declarations here. I'm not saying he is or he isn't coming back. I'm just saying that had he was, if he were for sure to come back in a Giants uniform, we'd, we'd be addressing it with him as well. Cause I think it's an important, um, a important piece to address in the off season and not when games are on the line, even in spring training, when these guys are, are trying to get ready for the season, this is going to be something that they're going to need to for the next several months. Not specific to Duvall or anybody else, but just as someone who's been around this, what you, why do pitchers usually take so long? What, what is it? There's some, you know, some thought that it's it's pitchers, you know, hard throwing pitchers resting between uh, pitches in order to get the most velocity they can. Do you think that's part of this? And won't that affect the velocity a little bit? It's a great question. It's the right question, and the answer could be yes. Now. We've asked guys to speed up, and we haven't seen them lose stuff. But there's no question that you get a little bit more rest and recovery, and then you're going to be a little bit more explosive. Now, one way to account for that is to train, right? You're going to be training in a way that, you know, you're going to have to be able to slow your heart rate down a little bit sooner, and you're going to have to be in a little bit better cardio condition to be able to sustain that throughout a game. So there's ways to approach that. Sometimes I think pitchers are taking t their time between pitches because they're thinking about their attack plan. Maybe they're trying to get their thoughts together so they, they can get complete conviction. One thing we know is that pitchers perform better when they have conviction in the pitch that they're going to throw. Sometimes they just need a couple of extra moments to make sure that they're on the same page with the catcher. They know what they want to throw before they step on the rubber. And so in this particular case, it could be a number of things, but I, I feel like as I mentioned, we're going to be so far out in front of it, we're going to have our players trained up for this, and it shouldn't be a problem during the season. If it does become a problem during the season, we're going to address it immediately. And look, like that's just that's the responsibility that we have as a coaching staff and that the players have to not let this sneak up on them. We have plenty of time. On the shifts, is there a hitter or two that you imagine from your lineup is going to be helped by this uh, in a large degree? Can you can you foresee somebody going, okay, that's a guy that's going to be helped by this? I can see Yaz really benefiting. I mean, he has a lot of, lot of crisp on-the-barrel ground balls to the right side. And look, he's, he's been a guy that's been shifted and hurt by the shift as much as anybody. So I can see Yaz standing out in that way. Um, I think Crom benefiting a little bit as well, and others. I mean, I think Jock, I mean, Jock obviously is a free agent, but Jock hit a lot of balls into the shift 
last year. And, you know, he's going to be a tough guy for defenses to account for going forward. I can point to a lot of guys around the league, but Yaz is the guy that stands out to me right now in this conversation. One question you gave is like, I know the rules are, you know, feed on the dirt and a certain, you know, got to be certain in place with second base. Is there anything that's going to say you can't move once the pitcher's in his motion and you just take three steps and all of a sudden you're in the shift position you would normally have been in? I think those things are being discussed right now, and I'm not sure that final decisions have been made on that. What I will say is that teams are going to be creative, and they're going to push right up against the line, and they should, because you know that's sort of how you get the competitive advantage. I would not be surprised to see teams move outfielders around a little bit differently than they have in the past, since we're going to have some restrictions on how we can move infielders. And I think one thing that I'm, I'm really proud of is, is Kai Correa, our infield coach, and um, also responsible for positioning our, our infielders, Antoine Richardson, who's responsible for positioning our outfielders. They're going to work really, really hard uh, to find ways to, to you know, gobble up one additional ground ball or to, to make sure that one hit doesn't land on the grass. We can convert that ball into an out for our pitchers. We saw how critical it was. And, and honestly, how we failed at it last year as a group. And we just have to be better. So we just have to be a better defense from jump, uh, the first game of the season, all the way through the finish line. On a similar route, could you see Brandon Crawford not playing shortstop for you guys moving to another position next season? Right now, Brandon Crawford is our shortstop. He's demonstrated over the last couple of years that he can still be top shelf, defensive, shortstop, produce big power like he did in 21. And once he came back from his injury this um, this past season, he was a good major league shortstop and he was a productive major league player. His injuries really set him, him back and didn't allow his body to move like he needed it to move to be great. But once he came back, he, he was a, a great shortstop and, and a good major league hitter again. So we expect that, and I already know this for a fact, Straw's already started working and preparing to be the best version of himself that he can possibly be in 23. And we all respect um, the effort that's going in already. I mean, you probably can't answer this, but there are a lot of great free agent shortstops on this market, right? There are young ones. There are middle-aged ones. There are really, t- you know, guys who've gotten MVP votes. Do you see it all? Like, are they blocked from you? You can't look at a shortstop because you've got Brandon Crawford there. Brandon has just been a guy that over the years is especially motivated um, to prove that he's the guy, right? This is something that he's been excellent at over the course of his career. I think that our our front office, as they always do, are going to look under every stone to figure out a way to improve our defense and our offense collectively. I think that's going to include every, we're going to be looking at every free agent and and um, that's, this is the right time for that, to be open to, to any possibility. Because it's you and me, we always got to talk a little 80s or 90s uh, baseball because we're such – you played in it. And I, I really – that's when I started watching sports, maybe uh, late 70s even and early 80s. So with this Hall of Fame, Veterans Committee, whatever, new era, whatever that is, uh, kind of vote coming up. I think it's at the December winter meetings and some names back in the mix – we don't have to put Bonds and Clemens in there. I think we all understand the discussion there, and I voted for both of them. And I imagine you 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 have a, a idea of what your thoughts on that is. But is there another player just from the era maybe under recognized 
not necessarily on this new committee vote that you would like to see in the Hall of Fame? Who's somebody that Gabe Kapler thinks this guy could deserves a push who hasn't been in the Hall of Fame, maybe to get some consideration to be in the Hall? In 2009 and 2010, I played for the Tampa Bay Rays. Mm -hmm. uh, those were my, my last two full seasons at the Major League level. In 2011, I went to camp with the Dodgers, but 2010 was my last full season in the Major League. And one of the special assistants in Tampa was Fred McGriff. Mm -hmm. And when I was growing up, I had posters of Fred on my wall. So it was number 19, the reason I wear number 19 now, number 19 for the Toronto Blue Jays, and then stops in San Diego and Atlanta. And this is a guy who I believe is a Hall of Fame caliber player. I remember the dominance. I think that's a major factor. The character was always high. Um, and yeah, I think, I think McGriff belongs in the hall. I think he's getting in, right? He's like, seems to be the favorite to get on this committee. And I think he's the perfect candidate for this kind of committee. And, and by the way, I didn't vote for him. I'm going to admit that it was always a really close call. This, I think he got pushed out by really loaded ballots because he did have the steroid guys still in consideration with everybody else. And I kept pushing him back, but I think McGriff's getting in. That's a great choice. You know what mine would be? I think I might even mention this to you before. Keith Hernandez. Uh, you know, no home, the home run numbers aren't there, but I just thought a, a, just a career of greatness, uh, consistency, defense at first base, won a batting title, or maybe two, I'm not even sure, won a co-MVP with Willie Stargell, which certainly is no disgrace, uh, was on winning teams, man, I just think Keith Hernandez, when you put him against some of the people who are getting in now, he would be in. I, I will put Keith Hernandez in. That's just that's just my my uh, my nominee for this. I would vote for him for his appearance in Seinfeld. <laughs> that's he pretty was, good. That, he, yeah, get, give me anybody that appeared in in Seinfeld or curb, curb your enthusiasm. And it was funny on Seinfeld, by the way. Yeah, no, I mean he's a funny guy, he's a charismatic dude. Yeah, totally. Okay. All right, Gabe. I will ask, finish this with asking you a version of a question I've asked you many times. I ask all my guests. And I'm going to, let's see, pl pluck it out of thin air. Gabe Kapler, what's your favorite TV show right now? Mm. My favorite TV show right now. So this is why, Tim, why you asked the question prior. Hey, do you want to talk about yeah, TV shows? So you don't have somebody sitting yeah. trying to like... Figure, figure it out in real time. I do um, do this. That is a secret of the show. I do like say, hey, before we start, I would ask you one of these, which one do you want? And Gabe says, hey, ask me whichever one you want to. So that did happen in real time, everybody. That's, a, that's the show happening live. Uh, but here we go. Here's Gabe Kepler's answer, everybody. If we could go back to that moment when you asked me that question about what, what I would do, I would say restaurants. So okay, let's do that. We talk about our favorite restaurants. So I was just going to say, Kakari is my favorite restaurant in, in San Francisco. Fantastic bar, really amazing service, delicious Mediterranean food, always on point um, and just a beautiful setting. So that would be my favorite restaurant. I'm, I'm going to give you um, a show, kind of a TV show off the board, right? People are not going to really recognize it, so it might not be as fun. It's my all-time favorite TV show. And interestingly, it came on a recommendation from Farhan Zaidi years ago. The show is called Rectify, and Rectify uh, was on Sundance, and it was the backstory of a man who went to prison, was released from prison, and, uh, and reintroduces himself 
to society and sort of tells the story um, from that lens. And it is just so well made. And I use a site called Metacritic, which is kind of an, an it aggregates critic reviews. And I believe it was the highest rated show of all time, like at 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 a hundred out of a hundred. At least one of the one of the seasons were on Metacritic, so it's definitely worth checking out. Um, so that's my my final answer. Rectify. No, I've seen people talk about. It. I have not watched it myself, but that's a great recommendation. I kind of get yours. Right now, I'm watching Andor. I mean, every you know, it's a big Disney Plus streamer, so it's not a shocker. But it's really gritty. It's really like non-Star Warsy backstories, human drama, emotions. Uh, you know, it takes its own time. Uh, it's just you know, I've watched all the Star Wars stuff. You know, some good, some bad. This one has really pulled me in, like emotionally, which maybe you don't think about with a Star Wars TV show. So it's not you know. Cool. Yeah, that's and I'm watching again. It's a big streaming show. It's, com it's completely being advertised all over the place, so it's certainly not a, 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 a offbeat one. But the peripheral on Amazon, uh, really weird, but it's kind of drawn me in. The peripheral. That's it's not a bad one. Okari gets mentioned a lot, and so uh, and I've never been there, and there are people who tell me I've got to go. So that is one. Absolutely. I'm, I, I, I have heard too many times on this show from people who I respect that I got to everyone. We got to get to Kokari. Let's, let's do it. I have, I have one more for you since we're, we're throwing back uh, recommendations. Throwing back is actually a good place to start here. So Cold Drinks Bar in North Beach, my favorite bar in the city. Um, excellent bartenders, really interesting scotch selection, really cool setting. Uh, it's, uh, it's upstairs at China live. You're going to miss it. You can't, you can't drive by it and mm -hmm. see it. You have to kind of research it and then, you know, pop in, but it's a really cool setting, beautiful setting. Great, great whiskey, great bartender. Excellent. I never heard of this. This is a, this is a good one. I, I love hearing about stuff I've not heard about in San Francisco. All right, Gabe, listen, we've taken more than enough of your time. I appreciate the conversation. I, you can tell Gabe and I like batting around recommendations. Uh, it's interesting to hear, and I uh, always appreciate the uh, the time you put into this, Gabe. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tim. Talk to you, man. All right, everybody, it's show for today.